0: Beloved, let's turn then in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to be reading from chapter 22, verse 14, down to um, verse 34. Okay, verse 14. And when the hour came, he, that is Jesus, reclined at the table with the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves, For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, This is the cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it would be that was going to do this? a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise a exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest. Let the leader as one who serves for who is the greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves is it not the one who reclines at the table but I am among you as one who serves you are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. O Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times. And he said to them, "I, when I, send you, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And he said to them, Now, let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me is fulfilled. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Amen. We're in the very last evening of Jesus' earthly life before the crucifixion, or before his trial and crucifixion, his death and subsequent resurrection. And we're in this, this Jewish ritual that they're celebrating, the Passover. And we have seen that Jesus then takes the elements of that meal certain symbols from that meal and transforms them into something new. He comes and applies the elements, primarily here, of course, the the bread and the wine and uses them to point to his own body and to the sacrifice that he himself will make for mankind. That he will be the bread that is broken. That he will be the the wine, which represents the blood of the animal, poured out as a sacrifice, as a propitiation, as a substitute for the one who believes. And there must have been a really big, a really deep sense of foreboding. There must have been a, a, a what well, not depressiveness but a seriousness about that meal Jesus has said that he has longed for to, to celebrate this Passover not just the meal but the sacrifice the, his sacrifice that is coming afterwards for a long time with his disciples and there must have been a seriousness and we see also that Jesus almost immediately after putting this meal together, uh, forming this new symbol, this new remembrance, he warns those present. And he speaks directly, we would say, to Judas and gives a final warning to Judas. We know that Judas had already bargained to betray Jesus. He was just waiting for the opportunity to get Jesus alone in order that he could go in and inform on him, but even still at the first Lord's Supper, Jesus' is warning Don't do it. Woe to you. But Judas having given himself wholly and solely over to the, the devil, the enemy, doesn't hear, doesn't care, isn't interested. We're told subsequently in the other Gospels that he gets up and he leaves. But then something remarkable happens. You would think it's such a solemn, serious ceremony. At a time when Jesus has warned his disciples time and time again. I am going to Jerusalem to die. My life is going to end. But don't worry, I will be resurrected. And they didn't hear You'd think at such a time the disciples would be focused upon Jesus, that there would be some sort of sympathy, there would be some sort of care, that they would be obsessed with Lord do you need anything, do you want anything, is there anything I can do for you? But we're told in the text, and I love this about the Bible, the Bible is like no other holy book, no other religious book that's ever been written, because it's honest there's a transparency there it reveals the weaknesses of human beings it shows that the men who were with Jesus were real men indeed if this was just a fake book if this was just the imaginations of man, if this was just a fairy story written by the disciples after Jesus died do you not think they would have written it in such a way as to make themselves look good do you, do you not think that they would write it in such a way as that? Oh, we were there all the time with them. We we were we, we 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 never doubted. We never faltered. We never failed. But we don't have that. The record that has been given to us is one of full transparency. We see the weaknesses. We hear the words. We glimpse the conversations. And. Right now, we're about to see one of the greatest weaknesses, one of the greatest examples of human feebleness. Jesus pouring his heart out to his disciples, bringing them into the intimate plans of the Almighty God. And what happens? They begin to squabble, they begin to argue, they begin to bicker. They begin to nitpick about who's the most important. Right? This wasn't a new argument. It doesn't just happen. It's been an ongoing argument. It's been an ongoing problem. For the last three and a half years, as these men have been with Jesus, this issue has come up and has come up and has come up. There are quite obviously some people who think that they're more important than they are and there are some people who object to that. Indeed, the word here in the translation, um, a dispute or one of the other translations says a controversy. In the Greek, it gives the impression of it had been an ongoing, it was a, a sore point. It was a regular bone of contention. Do you know when you have a, a wobbly tooth? and Or a pain in your and your tongue always. Shoop, a wobbly tooth is like a magnet for your tongue. Or you, you're playing with it. And you're always, And though it causes you pain, though it's there's discomfort, you're always pushing that wobbly tooth. In the same sense, this contention, this difficulty, this subject that was causing pain was like that wobbly tooth. The disciples always had to come. It wasn't getting sorted. It wasn't getting healed. It wasn't getting repaired. They were always poking at that painful situation. Could you imagine, Uh, again, when we think of a a, a dinner, we think table. Sarah and I were at, at the wedding yesterday in Tampere, and we went out for a meal afterwards. And we all sat at our little individual tables, you know, a table and a chair, and we ate our food. And everybody was kind of stretched out. Some people were sitting over there, some people were sitting over here, and we all had our... But this is not that kind of meal. This is a ritualized meal and the, they're right up against one another. They didn't have chairs, they had sofas or benches, beds almost. They were lying beside each other. And the table was a like a buffet of finger food. You would take a little bit of meat, you would wrap it in bread or the, and you would eat it. They were very low down. It wasn't like the, t- the high tables that we have today. But everything was, was knee height. So they were lying next to one another. Three to a bed or three to a sofa or a, a, a bench. Jesus in the middle. and It was in a U shape or a horseshoe shape. The most important people to the left and to the right of Jesus. Or the, to the right and to the left of Jesus. And then subsequently, it would go through who was the most important, would go out like that there. And the people who were the least important were the left hand side, the far side, near the door. And these men begin to bicker as to who's the most important. Who's going to be Jesus' right hand side? Do you remember the story? The Bible tells the story. Well, it's not really, it's the, the, it informs us of, that it happened. That the Apostle James and the Apostle John, that their mother came to Jesus. Now these are grown up men. These are fishermen. When I was a young man, I used to work on a fishing boat. And uh, and I would go out to sea for a, a few weeks at a time when I was Vigo's age. And I can tell you that fishermen are rough, tough. Bad-languaged men, you know, they're, 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 they're hard men because they have to be out at sea all the time and they're working in terrible conditions and they're alone. And normally they're, they're not weak men, they're not men who have to phone their mummy to get permission to do something. And yet we have this example of James and John, the apostles. They send their mother to ask Jesus that whenever he enters into his kingdom, whenever he enters into the fullness, when he takes possession of this universe in its fullness, that he would let James and John be his his side guys, they would be his wingmen. There was this sense of ambition, they wanted to kind of keep it in the family. This had been an ongoing problem with the disciples. And here it comes to a head. Here it bubbles up. Mm -hmm. Here at this most sensitive point, at this most serious part of Jesus' relationship to the disciples, this small problem becomes a massive problem. I believe that this would have been enough to break the disciples apart. Does anybody remember the group the Beatles? Yeah, the Beatles. They're somewhat famous. Most people don't know about them today. But they were famous a long time ago when Sarah's mom was a young woman. The Beatles a group, okay? And there were four of them. Uh, Paul. Uh, I don't really remember all their names. But Ringo, you know. George Harrison was one of them. Yeah, they were somewhat famous, okay? Uh, But their band broke up. Their band broke up because one of the members, who was called John, his name was, uh, thought he was the most important person in the band and that he should get more recognition than everybody else because he was the one who wrote the songs and, and formed the music. And the other members of the band objected to that. John was saying, I should get more money because I'm the most famous And the other members of the band were like, hey, we're a band. We're all equally important. And what happened was that that really famous group from the long ago, they broke up. Why? Because they could not come to an agreement. They could not settle it in their hearts as to who was the most important. And that group broke apart, caused great distress for many people in that day decades ago. Something so insignificant as to who was the most important or who was perceived as the most important destroyed that boy band group. You know what boy bands are, don't you boys? I, I don't follow music, so I'm not quite. One direction. I don't even know if that's relevant these days, yeah? No? My sons are saying no. But I am that old, I don't know. But what is happening here at the 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 Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper is enough to break up the band. It's enough to break up the the group of the apostles. Let's never just poo-poo this and speed bump over it and think, well, you know, come on, boys, grow up. This was a potential death to the newly emerging church. And Jesus, once again, in his teaching. Puts an end to it. And he says to them. Jesus says to his disciples. The kings of the Gentiles. Or the overlords of the Gentiles. The Gentiles or, or the non-Jewish people. That would be you and me. Exercise their lordship. Over them. And those in authority over them. Are called benefactors. But not so with you. I like that word "benefactor." Jesus points out how the, the systems of this world are sorted, how kings and authorities and powers rule over the, the people. And we live in a day where authoritarianism is raising its head again, where governments and agents of the governments are behaving in such a way as a, to exercise to total authority over their citizens. I mean, look at 2020 and everything that went met The drama that came out of America with the thing that happened in America. I can't pronounce it because we're gone on YouTube. The things that happened there in America in 2020 with the, you know, the uprisings that happened there and how it was quelled and quenched and how... The, the big tech and media companies in this world forbid even the, the mentioning of, of those events online. The normal person isn't able to have any sway or influence or to do anything. And in some sort, there's a quenching. There are lords in some sense. But this word benefactor, when I was looking through it, what does it mean? And I, I was trying to get, well, how can I express to you what the meaning of this word benefactor means? There is this film, boys I know you haven't seen it, but it's called The Godfather. And in that film, The Godfather, it's about the mafia. It's about gangsters and about a family. And there's one particular character, played by Marlon Brando, Don Vito Corleone. And he's having a wedding, his, wife, his daughter is getting married... And one of the guests come to the dawn and say to him, you know, I would like a favor. I would like a favor. Something has happened to his daughter and the, the man comes to, to the dawn asking for justice. And what he is doing there, he is coming to the dawn and asking the dawn for a favor. And the dawn accepts eventually, And gives him this favour. And the idea there is. He becomes the man's benefactor. The one who is in power. Who gives. To the one who isn't in power. He serves him. But only in the sense. That he gives him something. From from a a state of authority. To a state of no authority. That. What the man wants to happen will happen because the dawn has the authority to make it happen. He becomes his benefactor, his guardian, his protector. But only in as much as there's, there's a sense of violence, there's a sense of, of, of severity. The kingdoms of this world, the authority systems, the leadership patterns of this world are contrary to the... Systems of God's kingdom, of Christ's kingdom. Jesus says immediately, once he is highlighted and, and made clear and, and made so that everybody understands the systems of this world, how this world functions and thinks, Jesus says there immediately in verse 26, but not so with you. just killed half of the the, the leadership conferences, more in the church, not our church, but in the church in general. Just everything you've ever learned from leadership school in this world, whatever you've been, seminar, whatever, whatever, but not so with you. He's talking to the leaders of the church. He's talking to the ones who will become the foundation blocks Of the invisible church. The worldwide eternal church of Jesus Christ. And he says not so with you. There has to be a radical transference. A change. A difference. And then Jesus goes on and illustrates what he means. Rather let the greatest or the oldest. The one with the most authority. The leader among you. Become as the youngest. And that idea is. In the Middle East. The oldest son. Always had the most authority. The oldest person in the room. Was the most honoured person in the room. That was the person that we would look to. For authority. They were regarded as. The elder. Now in our culture. Post Second World War. We live in a culture that. Emulates youth that, that honours and glorifies young people. We have the James Dean complex. T-shirts and training shoes. Where old people are regarded not as wise or helpful to, the, to society. But rather that they're viewed as an annoyance. Boomers they call them today I believe. Apparently I'm a boomer, I don't know. They, people who are older are mocked and thought of as being out of date and out of touch but Jesus is saying here in the Middle Eastern com- context where it was completely the opposite they venerated, they respected their elders the, the, the young people were thought, uh, thought of of having no experience, no knowledge they knew nothing let them grow a bit, but Jesus is saying that those who desire to be among uh, the the greatest among us must become like the youngest. And the idea was that the youngest was always the one who served the elders. Do you remember the story of David? Remember when David was chosen by Samuel, and Samuel comes to the house of David, Jesse, David's dad, and they have this party and. Samuel goes through all the brothers. First one comes and he's he's big and handsome and good looking, can do everything. God says no, not that one. He goes through the list, goes through the list, and go through all the brothers, and there's nobody left. And Samuel says, "Do you not have anybody left?" And Jesse says, "Well, I do have one, but he's a bit of a we have he's the young, my youngest son, and he's out on the on the fields with the sheep, out in the mountains, but you know." He's just the youngest, of no significance. And the idea there, he's saying that my youngest son, but he's of no significance. He's out with the sheep and that was the most despised job. Nobody wanted to be with the sheep because sheep smell and they run off and they're stupid and they fall over and they drown and and animals eat them and you have to look after them. and It's just a hard, unpleasant, smelly job. And it was David's responsibility because he was the youngest. He was the one who had to do all the hard work. I don't know if you know how it is, boys. Or, but you know, you, you tell one brother to do it and he'll tell the younger brother, you go and do it. And then the younger brother will tell the other brother, you go do it. And it kind of goes down the line. Well, Jesus is saying that in his kingdom, the mentality should be not that you're entitled but rather that you approach it from that you are the youngest that you are the one who who is the least and then he goes on to clarify it even more for who is greater and he says and the leader become as the one who serves for who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves Who's more important? When you go into a restaurant and you're having your your food, who's more important? Is it the the waiter or the the customer? You know that old saying: the customer is always right. I don't know if you've heard that saying. It means that that the one who's paying for the food has the most right, and whatever they say goes. You, when I order food at a restaurant, I expect the food that I have ordered. To be delivered to me. You know, the, the, I don't expect them to come. If I, if I order a hamburger, I don't expect them to bring me steak. Or if I bring steak, I don't expect them to bring me a hamburger. Why? Because I am the one who decides, I'm the one who pays for it, and therefore it should come to me. So it, we understand that the one who order, orders the food, the one who sits at the table, in that situation, is more important than the one who serves it. And in a worldly sense, we understand that. But yet again, Jesus turns that on its head. It's counterculture. Jesus says that in his kingdom, the one who serves is more important He says there, who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? And again, we understand that. But then Jesus says this, I am as the one who serves. Jesus is the example. Jesus is the example, not just for Christian leadership. Oftentimes, we just reduce this down to Christian leadership. Oftentimes, we just reduce this down, oh, a Christian leader has to be one who serves, and that is true. But he also has to be the example of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian leader is simply a mature Christian, one who demonstrates by their doctrine and their practice that they are following Jesus Christ correctly. Jesus demonstrates by his life. And in this situation, which is not covered in this text, he then takes off his outer robe, wraps a towel around himself, and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. There's 11 of them there. Judas, by that time, has got up and left and gone to inform on Jesus. And Jesus washes the feet. He takes the sandals off and he washes. That wasn't a nice thing. It wasn't a a, a nice ritualized ceremony these are men who wore sandals and smelly feet and all the rest you know corns they were always walking everywhere so I'm sure that they had hard feet that was traditionally the job that was given to the least servant in the house or slave in the house that was the most menial job that could be given to a servant was when you came into someone's house, you didn't want to, you know like we do today, we take off our shoes, don't we? When we come into someone's house, we take off our shoes and we leave them neatly, neatly, by the door. Or if you're in somewhere else in Europe, you, you wipe your feet before you come in. You make sure all the dirt and muck that might be on your shoes is left outside. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't wear shoes or in in the Middle East, they didn't wear shoes as we would understand it. They wore sandals and they would leather sandals and their feet would get all stinky and sweaty and smelly and there would be dust. And it would be very uncomfortable to be said, could you imagine the smell of 12, 13 men's feet sitting at a table? They'd been walking all day or all however long and they come in they sit down and the smelly smelly I have sons I know how smelly feet people smell can be rough well as you came into a person's house in the Middle East what they would do is they would offer you a beverage of course a drink and then also they would have someone come and wash your feet they would just kind of rinse off your feet So you wouldn't walk muck into their house and there wouldn't be this unpleasant smell. They would put a little bit of ointment on your feet, give you a little bit of foot rub. We all enjoy a foot rub. Jesus demonstrates to his disciples what it means to be a follower of his, what it means to be a subject of the kingdom of Christ. And he is the example. And he's saying, if you want to follow me, you have to be like me. And if you refuse the pattern that I set down, are you saying that you're greater than me? That somehow, in some way, you're too good for this because I, Jesus, I'm not too good for this. Jesus Christ came to serve, to seek and to save the lost. I have in my 30 years of following Christ, 30 something years of following Christ, I have seen so many leadership conferences. I've seen so many seminars on how to be a good leader. So often based upon worldly knowledge, and there can be helpful things in administration can be helpful in communication, how to project your voice and keep eye contact. So few conferences I have seen through my 30-something years of following Jesus on how to serve people. The word here that Jesus keeps using when he's talking about serves is the Greek word diakonis, the word where we get deacon from, the transliterated word deacon. To serve. The idea is of oh, the lowest kind of server, a waitress, a bar person, someone who brings you your drink. It wasn't a glorified. It wasn't a a, a a pat on the head and a gold star or a medal. It wasn't like you know some sort of heroic effort. Last Sunday, my small boys and I were watching war stories on YouTube. We, after church, we watched these, these heroic soldiers in the Second World War performing tremendous actions in the, in the service of their armies to, to liberate us from German tyranny. And it was amazing. And they got medals, didn't they? Some of them lost their lives. A great many of them lost their lives. And they were amazing. And they deserve the recognition that they got. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the service that gets recognition. He's not not saying do this and all the world will applaud you. And you'll get a gold medal. And your name will be written on some statue somewhere. He's saying that his followers and the leaders those who are regarded as the important people among them, they will be servers. Beloved, if God has raised you up to be in an influence of of importance, of authority somehow in some way in the Christian church, it's not there that you might receive glory, It's not there so that you might rule some kingdom at some point at some time. It's not there so that people might applaud you and say pastor or this or person that. It's in order that you might serve the Lord Jesus Christ by serving his people. And do so honestly and sincerely. Do so at your own sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed everything everything in order to serve you and me indeed at this at this meal he takes off his outer garment wraps a towel washes the stinky feet of the disciples as an indication as setting the level of service it's not up here it's way down there these disciples were bickering among themselves as to who was the most important, who would rule the most, who would make the most decisions, who got to tell the others what to do. They had an inflated self-image. There was a spirit of self-expectation. There was pride there. Pride that they, they were who they were. And that the others weren't. They looked at their own natural abilities and their friendships, perhaps with Jesus. That they were a little bit closer to Jesus than the rest of them were. And they thought that those were the legitimate reasons why they should rule. And yet Jesus here in this passage says that none of those reasons. Your personal abilities, not a reason to... To lead your relationship with such and such your friendship with this person or that person not enough to lead the expectation of Jesus is that those who lead shall be those who serve and I'm not talking about preaching I'm not talking about you know counselling those have their aspects in it but it's men in leadership at least But in the community of church, men and women pouring out their lives for one another. Laying down their lives, giving everything and holding nothing back. Not living for self, not living for this world and all of its glitter and its gold. But living for eternity and for the glory of Christ. Beloved, let us put aside our worldly thinking. Let us put aside our over inflamed sense of self-worth. That because I know more than you, I'm better than you. Because I have more than you, I'm better than you. Or even the, the reverse, if you're a socialist... Because I have less than you. I'm better than you. I saw on the news this morning when I was watching the news, some reporter asking people, do you think that the rich should be taxed more? And the man was saying, I don't have any money. I'm better than all these billionaires and rich people. And the man was like, and I thought to myself, what? how does it make you better because you have nothing? Uh, What we have or what we don't have doesn't make us better. doesn't make us better qualified. It's a shepherd's heart. It's a sincere care for one another. It's the pouring out of your life on behalf of others. Let's give and don't look to receive back. Let's serve. And I like that word serve. It has the action of doing something. It's not enough just simply to say, I am a leader. We shall know them by their fruits. This Bible is actually my oldest son's, Emil's Bible, that I bought him a long time ago when he was young. And as I was flicking through it, i um, I was looking through it and I was saying, looking to see if he had underlined anything. The only thing I could find in this entire Bible that's underlined is the verse, you shall know them by their fruit. I thought, wow, that's profound enough, isn't it? Have you got that? That's great. We shall know leaders in the church by their fruit. By their sincere care. A pastor shepherds. A shepherd smells like sheep. But also, those under a pastor's care, the sheep should look after one another. There should be a community. There should be a a, a, a giving of yourself. Beloved, do not think like this world. Let us become Christ-like in our thinking. The Bible says it's the little foxes that destroy the vines, the small, invisible attitudes of our hearts, the pinpricks of pride, the little weeds that strangle the good grain. Beloved, let us make sure that we are following Christ in the way that we should. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to not to think like the world, not to feel like the world, not to behave like the world, Lord. We do not lord our authority or our faith over others. Lord, we, we don't think of ourselves as entitled or the benefactors, those in authority who give to those who have nothing oh please lord help us to be as yourself you who are the great example you who came from glory and served sinful man so much so that you washed the feet of your disciples oh lord help us to to bear the so-called humiliation of service oh god that we might bring glory to your name lord transform and change our thinking renew our minds help us to lord function in your kingdom correctly and lord not just among the church but lord to to demonstrate that love to the people out there in the world because lord you have not required us simply to behave this way in church but in all our lives that it should lord seep through into every aspect of of our being and every relationship in our experience and that the world might see and testify as to how much we love each other because of how much we love you. Oh Lord, demonstrate through us the reality of your kingdom. Lord, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.